it happens sometimes, maybe often, when it's nearing the time and people are starting to think about saying goodbye. Whether it's family members or friends from out of town or out of state, or whether it's a coworker or a boss towards the end of the workday, or maybe it's even just on a phone conversation. Maybe it's happened to you, maybe you've, maybe you've done it. They're about to go out the door and then, wait, 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 one more thing. Oh wait, also this, okay, I promise it's the last thing now, fine, okay, I'm leaving now. Oh wait, one more. You know, I, I, maybe it's just me, I do this all the time because I'm very forgetful. But it happens. Now, I'm not saying that that sort of thing is what was going through Paul's head as he wrapped up his first letter to the church in the Greek city of Thessalonica. I'm not saying that's what, going, what was going through his head. His makes much more sense. It's clear. It's logical. But it's the same sort of thing. He's wrapping up his letter. He's signing off. And there's, there's a bunch of things that he's going to say. But we can sum it up by saying he's giving the people he's writing to, which includes you, he's giving you your identity, number one. And he's also proclaiming to you what life looks like when it's lived out of that identity. So here is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 24. Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. That's God's word. Now, in the middle there, you've got very clear direction on how people, Christians especially, should take any teaching, any spiritual teaching, any teaching from the Bible, any word that claims to be from God, because that's what prophecy is. It says, don't take prophecy with contempt. And prophecy is anything claiming to be a word coming from God. Don't treat it with contempt. That means whenever you hear any spiritual teaching, whether it's from a pastor or another person, no matter what church you're at, this one or another one, don't treat the word with contempt. That means don't look down on it without thinking about it. Don't think, oh, this is, this is beneath me. It's not even worthy of my consideration. Don't think that. He said, but also, don't just accept it. He said, test it. Does whatever you hear, whether it's from me or from anyone else, does it match what is in the Bible? If so, it's good. Hold on to it like your life depended upon it. And if not, it is, it is evil. He doesn't mince words. It's evil. Reject it. That's what you have in the middle. But that's all we're going to say about that. Because what jumps out most in this section are the verbs and the adverbs right at the beginning. Actually, it's less the verbs. They're very normal. They're very common. But the adverbs at the beginning, uncommon. Verbs are common. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Like, that's universal. Everyone does that. Whether they say they pray to God or not, everyone prays, you might say. But the adverbs, uncommon. It says, rejoice always. Not most of the time, always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all 
all, not, not most, all circumstances. That's, not, that's different. That's not common. One commentator, he put it this way, and he's saying, this is uncommon, but this is the life of a Christian lived out of their identity. He said this, For the Christian, their positive attitudes and prayer life reflect an awareness of deeper spiritual circumstances. They are a forgiven child of God, loved unconditionally, and destined for heaven. The gospel, that good news, is more than enough reason for joy, prayer, and thanksgiving at all times. You could think of it this way. Let's say you got news, let's say it was on Friday, okay? You got something in the mail, some long-lost relative of yours, and you are going to get an inheritance three weeks from Friday, so two days before Christmas Eve, you're going to get an inheritance of $50 million. It's only three weeks away. It's not here yet. You don't have access to it yet, but you're already starting to dream, and you're getting excited. If you're not excited, something is wrong with you. But you're dreaming. What, what are you going to do? What, what good are you going to do for people you love or people you don't even know? Like, how many single struggling moms are you going to buy cars for? How many are you going to pay their rent for a year? How many are you going to, like, $50 million is a lot. You could buy a lot of houses for a lot of people. What are you going to do? What are you going to do for the city of Rock Hill? Are you going to buy a big house, renovate it, and then staff it for five years and turn it into a shelter for children and women? Because in our town, there's more shelter space for men than there is for women and children right now. Are you going to do that? Or are you going to, well, if you put $50 million in a high-yield savings account at 5%, that gives you $2.5 million a year. What are you going to do with it and it'll never run out? Are you going to start an agency and pay 10 people $100,000 a year and their only job is to help hook people up with identification cards, which is harder than you imagine it to be. Or find them jobs and not just help, whether it's homeless people or people struggling, not just help them short-term in crisis mode, but to help them long-term. Like, what, like dream a little bit. What, what would you do? Or what would you, maybe if this is your church, what, what would you do at this church? Would you donate an incredible amount of money and pay off the mortgage? Or would you donate another few hundred thousand dollars to make the worship space 50% bigger? What would you do? Who would you help? $50 million. But wait, because you don't have access to it yet. And what I didn't tell you is that December is not the most wonderful time of year for you. It is typically, and it's true this year too, it is the worst time of year for you. You've got your general grief and sadness for various reasons. And this year, your anxiety is worse. Your loneliness is even worse than usual. And three weeks from now, $50 million hits your bank account. And so that's kind of got you excited too. Why am I saying all this? Because three weeks is actually longer than the rest of your life. I don't care if it's 85 more years. Three weeks is longer than it. Three weeks until $50 million. Three weeks is actually a longer time than 85 years compared to the inheritance of heaven. And I'm not minimizing $50 million. I'm maximizing 
how great an eternity of all the resources, all the food, all the joy, all the money, all the perfection, and more that you could ever, ever dream of. The gospel, the good news, is more than enough reason for joy, prayer, and thanksgiving at all times. That's what the commentator said. We might say, what helps a Christian rejoice always is the truth behind this worship series. The king shall come. The fact is, Jesus, the baby who was born at Christmas, the one who rose from the dead, he is the king right now. He always is, and he is reigning on his throne. And you, at any given moment, every moment of every day, you can take your heart to the throne where Jesus is right now king. No matter what you are going through, you can take your heart out of the present circumstance and take it to where Jesus is reigning because where he's reigning is right here and right now. And that is true all the time. Remember your future. Your king shall come. It's a promise. Rejoice always. Pray continually. A really short word on this. Prayer sometimes. And even for me, it can be intimidating or like a heavy weight, like I don't know how to do it, or man, I've never heard a Christian say, yep, 10 out of 10, my prayer life is amazing, it always has been, it always will be. It can be guilt-inducing, it can be worrisome, it can be overwhelming, but prayer is simply taking whatever is on your heart and putting it on God's heart. That's what it is. You're talking to him, saying, God, I've got this on my heart, you promised to hear me, you are never not listening, so here, take this. And give thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, give thanks for all circumstances. Because sometimes it's just not the appropriate thing to give, like sometimes it's the appropriate thing to grieve. Or sometimes, like when I mess up and sin, the appropriate thing for me to do is not give thanks for the sin that I just committed. The appropriate thing is to repent and say sorry and say, God, forgive me and receive his mercy. Not give thanks for all circumstances. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Like you're throwing up your hands and saying, God, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I can't actually imagine anything good ever coming from this. But God, you promise there's not even one circumstance in my life that you are not going to work out for my ultimate good. So God, thank you. I'm not sure why, except for the fact that I trust that you're going to keep your promise. Now, that's tough. And I, I debated and I prayed about whether I should say this or not. And actually, in my heart, now that I'm about to say it, I'm still debating because it's, it's uh, a little harsher than I usually talk. Now, who knows? Maybe you'll say to me afterwards, yeah, you should say stuff like that more often. I don't know. I'm sure that was a bird that just flew in the window. Pay no attention. But if you push back on that, and I'll be honest, my heart does sometimes. And yours does too, if you're honest. If you push back on that, give thanks in all circumstances. And there's never not a circumstance, there's never a circumstance where God doesn't make it turn out for your good. If you push back on that, because you're thinking about something that's happened in your life or something that is going on right now, and you're like, Nathan, Pastor Nathan, what? how can you say that? You don't know the evil that I've gone through. I'm not minimizing what happened. My heart goes out to you, I promise. And 
when we push back on that, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are when you push back on it? Who do I think I am when I push back on it? How arrogant are, am I God? Do you think you're God and you know the future? No. If we say that, we're disagreeing with the God who makes blood run in our veins. The God who created sound waves and gave us these things to be able to hear them and then connected them to brains to be able to understand them. We're disagreeing if we say that. We're disagreeing with the God who designed eyes to be able to see way better than any technology can ever transmit. We're disagreeing if we think that with the God who chose to wrap himself up in infant flesh, who chose to come to earth and subject himself to having to learn how to walk and learn how to read, to be a human and to go through all sorts of pain. We're disagreeing, finally, with a God, with the king, who decided to make himself a servant to come and give you and me an identity that we could not earn on our own. Now, about a year and a half ago, in 2022, on Easter, I quoted a 25-year-old man named Scotty. And Scotty, you can look him up on the internet. He's famous. He's a professional golfer. The week before Easter, he had won maybe the most prestigious golf tournament in all the world, the Masters, two hours from here in Augusta, Georgia. He had won on that Sunday $2.7 million. And one of the reporters after the round after the tournament, after he won, they asked him, hey, how do you deal with all the stress? How do you deal with the pressure, being a public figure, having this amount of money on the line, and just having to live up to your status as a professional golfer? How do you deal with it all? And he said, he said this. He said, the reason I play golf is simply this, to glorify God for all that he's done for me. And then he said, my identity is not a golf score. He was saying, whether I win or lose, that doesn't change who I am, and it doesn't change what God thinks of me. And the good news is, is that your identity also, my identity too, it is not what you do, or what you're good at, or the money you have, or you don't have, or the gifts you're going to give this Christmas or not give, or the gifts you're going to get this Christmas, or not get, or, or the clothes you wear, or the clothes you don't wear, or the vacations you take, or the vacations you don't take, or the job you have, or the job you don't have. Your identity is not what you do. It's not your job. You, you spend a lot of time at your job, but that's not your identity. My, you, your identity is also not your relationship or your position to other people. Like, take me, for example. My identity is not husband. It is not father, it is not pastor, it is not runner, it is not friend, it is not coach. I do all those things, but thankfully, so thankfully, they are not my identity because they would be horrible identities or at least horrible a lot of the time because I mess up at all those things all the time. My identity does not hinge on what I do and how I do it and neither does it for you. Nor 
is your identity how other people see you and their opinion of you. What does that mean? It means you have no reason at all to ever be critical. I'm not talking about the good kind of critical, the being critical in order to help someone. There's a fine line between being critical to help and being critical in order to feel good about yourself or so that other people recognize you as great. But your identity is not contingent upon how other people view you or even how you view yourself. You do not need to be impressed with yourself because that also is not your identity. You don't need to look good to others. You don't need to look good to yourself because you already look good to God. That's what Paul says. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you're wondering what God's will is, there it is. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks. But don't miss the ending part. He said it's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That means you are in Christ Jesus. That means when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he looks at you. Jesus equals you because when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he clothed you with himself. When the, when the being, when the God who created the universe and everything in it and made it all work together, when he looks at you, he sees his perfect child whom he's perfectly pleased with because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. That is your identity. And Jesus came to give it to you and we can't earn it and we don't need to. It also says the God of peace will sanctify you, will make you holy through and through, forever and ever, amen. But the God of peace, peace is wholeness. Peace is a state of well-being. That is what being in God is. That's what he promises. He also says the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Sometimes we're faithful in all of our callings. Sometimes we're not. But the one who calls you, and that's not just calling you to give you a purpose. No, it's calling you as his adopted brother or sister. The one who calls you, who has called you his family member, he is faithful. He will keep your spirit and your soul and your body blameless when he comes to judge you at the end of time because he's going to judge you as one whose identity is God's. Live out of that identity. You have no need to prove it, no need to try and get someone else to feel good about you, no need to try and get you to feel good about yourself because you already look good to God. That's the greatest identity you can have. Live out of that. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen.